0: Hi, my name is Dr. Josh Kalili. I am from UCLA, and today we're talking about HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis and the role that primary care clinicians have in ending the HIV epidemic. The fact is that really most patients who are at risk for HIV acquisition and are eligible for HIV PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis are really more likely to be seen by primary care clinicians and PCPs than HIV or infectious disease doctors. I think there is a lot of thought that what HIV PrEP is, it's a component of HIV therapy. So it's something that HIV doctors should be prescribing. But in essence, it's really not the HIV doctors who are seeing as many patients who are HIV negative and could really benefit from a medication, HIV PrEP, to prevent acquiring HIV. We really want to empower every primary care clinician to realize that they have a chance to play a key role in ending this epidemic. I mean, HIV, just 30 years ago, clinicians and scientists, everyone, we were really struggling to find a safe and effective way to treat HIV at that time. And now we have great treatment, and now we have a way to prevent HIV. We just really need to have every provider, and especially PCPs, because they're the ones encountering these patients, to learn more about HIV PrEP, and be stakeholders in prescribing it and really being a key pivotal role in ending the epidemic. I really think that primary care clinicians understanding that HIV PrEP is safe is the most important thing. I think all providers, you know, we think we want to do no harm and that's something that's absolutely essential when we're thinking about treatment of disease or prevention of disease. So the first thing that I think is really essential in increasing comfort with prescribing HIV PrEP is the understanding that it's safe. We've been using PrEP and the components that are in HIV PrEP for years, and we know that it's safe, and we have data that it's safe for the use in this kind of modality as pre-exposure prophylaxis. So I think that really is the number one important thing. The next important thing, which is also absolutely essential when we're thinking about starting a new medication for any patient is, does it work? And is it effective? And again, we have numerous studies showing that individuals who are adherent to their PrEP and take it as prescribed, it's incredibly efficacious in preventing HIV acquisition. And I think those are the two most important things that PCPs should really trust and feel comfortable about when they're thinking about PrEP. As a primary care provider myself, I think those are values that I absolutely are looking for when I'm thinking about prescribing medications. First of all, is it safe? And second of all, is it effective? And those things we know. There are a number of guidelines that admittedly are hard to follow regarding the assessment of risk for patients who may be eligible for HIV PrEP and also how to prescribe PrEP. We've really tried to distill those guidelines and make them more user-friendly in different ways, not only for the assessment of risk to see who may be eligible for PrEP, but also how to prescribe it and what we need to look out for when someone is taking it. And those are all kind of in our paper, and we really feel that that can be helpful to make primary care physicians more comfortable when they think about it. I think another thing that primary care physicians and clinicians should look to are also the guidelines that really help guide us in our everyday kind of day-to-day way that we practice medicine. And the truth is that, you know, June of this year, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force assigned a grade A recommendation for the use of PrEP and for assessing risk and also prescribing HIV PrEP for those who are eligible. When thinking about the challenges of the rollout of PrEP and primary care, we know that there's really only a minority of the estimated over 1 million individuals in the U.S. who are eligible for PrEP are on it. So we really have to think, what are those barriers? We think about it in terms of structural barriers and also the individual barriers. And the most important thing I think we can do to address some of the structural barriers, which to outline them Thinking about the day-to-day, again, as a primary care clinician, I think I realize this is time. Time is a huge factor in what we do and what we have the capacity to do. You know, many times we only have 10, 15 minutes to address a lot of concerns that a patient has and really important things. But we need to be able to find ways to efficiently assess risk and also Efficiently monitor a prescribed PrEP. So, I think some solutions to that are using the electronic medical record, using platforms that are available on the EMR, and also to assess risk. And that could be providing questionnaires to patients before they come into the clinic. Or prior to seeing the patient face to face, it's providing them with a questionnaire that really goes through a number of risk factors that would assess their eligibility for. Being prescribed HIV prep. And besides that, I think it's also using checklists. We know we have data that using checklists and standardizing practices like prescribing medications can really be helpful and monitoring individuals once they're on those medications. And really following a standardized set of best practices is going to be really helpful for using that time that we have, that precious time, efficiently. Another structural barrier that we have to think about is access and access to care. And we know that not every individual who's at risk has appropriate access to care to even be identified as someone who would be eligible for PrEP. So what we need to do is offer risk assessment and the prescription of HIV PrEP in multiple ambulatory settings and that has been done. New York City has experience in doing this in STI or sexually transmitted infection clinics and really trying to find any type of access point for individuals to really try to increase their access to care and to be able to get HIV PrEP. Another barrier in access to PrEP is cost and this is frequently something that patients will bring up in clinic What we advise is for individuals to apply for PrEP assistance programs if they're eligible. And this is outlined in our paper and resources of where to go and where patients can go to get PrEP covered by their insurance plan or by an assistance program. And it's not just the medication itself, but also clinical visits and testing, because these can add up. And it's certainly a barrier. And these out-of-pocket expenses are something that patients will certainly bring up. And there are resources that we need to be cognizant of and refer our patients to. Other barriers include even just individual barriers. And I think we, as a country and as healthcare providers, we need to together work in destigmatizing HIV, HIV PrEP. And that really just means talking about it. It means being comfortable asking patients questions about it and also being comfortable answering patient questions when they ask about these topics. So that means we really just need to keep up with the guidelines and keep up with what's happening around us and consistently learning and being up to date. I think that's really helpful so we can talk openly about these issues with our patients. Some of the key things to keep in mind when prescribing PrEP are really firstly, after doing the risk assessment to determine who's eligible for PrEP, it's understanding what is that baseline clinical assessment that's going to be done. And it's easy. It's easy to follow. It's easy to do in clinic. You really just have to order an HIV test, assess kidney function, hepatitis B testing. We recommend hepatitis C testing as well, and also pregnancy testing if it's applicable for your patient. It's an assessment of also symptoms that would be consistent with acute HIV because we would not want to prescribe HIV PrEP in individuals who have HIV. The vast majority of patients should receive a prescription of tenofovir, m or TDF ftc for PrEP, and they should receive a prescription of one pill once a day, and typically we prescribe patients a 90-day supply. They should be advised regarding a seven day lead in time. And that just means that it takes about seven days until we are comfortable with the medication reaching necessary tissue concentrations for it to be effective. And that goes for prescriptions for both men and women. That seven day lead in time is for both. There is an option of prescribing what's called 211 PrEP which is event-driven, and that's based on planned sexual intercourse, but this modality of prescription has only been approved for the use in men who have sex with men, based on some studies that have been done. Details on how to prescribe PrEP for that modality can be seen in our paper. And then, at the same time, talking about other issues and talking about the issues that are associated with PrEP use, I think there's a lot of valid concern that patients have regarding side effects for PrEP and really want to implore that the side effects for PrEP are very limited. The most common side effects are gastrointestinal, which are really self-limited. And honestly, most patients don't have it. If they do, it can go away after typically a couple of weeks with supportive care. Other adverse effects that people are certainly worried about, again, valid concerns are renal toxicity and bone health. And we have a lot of data demonstrating that while it is possible that, you know, TDF FTC for use in HIV PrEP could lead to adverse outcomes when we think about kidney health and bone health, it's uncommon. And in terms of the actual clinical effect of TDF FTC for prep on these outcomes are very uncommon and very limited. While a patient is on prep, it's certainly important to be monitoring them. What we typically recommend is at one month either a follow-up clinical visit or sometimes even a telephone encounter to discuss PrEP-related adverse events that may be happening and also evaluating and supporting adherence to PrEP and seeing if there are any barriers that can be addressed at that time. And then at three months after starting PrEP, assessing the kidney function again and checking an HIV test. After that, it really depends on an individual's risk, how often you test renal function. It typically can be done every six months but we do recommend STI testing every three months. Another key thing to keep in mind when we think about PrEP is for individuals who may not be eligible or for TDF FTC because of chronic kidney disease with a creatinine clearance less than 60 or individuals with known osteoporosis, the FDA has approved HIV prevention with TAF FTC for men with sex with men and transgender women. So that can be considered in those individuals who have CKD with a creatinine clearance less than 60 or those with known osteoporosis. That was just recently approved by the FDA. However, I do want to make sure that primary care clinicians and all providers realize that still the go-to form of HIV prep is TDF FTC. The key takeaway that I have for all primary care clinicians and really anybody listening is we have a way to prevent HIV, and we have a way to do that with a pill. It's simple. It really is. And it's safe. We know that it's safe, and we know that it's effective. So we have a way to prevent HIV with PrEP. And despite having this available, there's still a stable number of HIV diagnoses in the U.S., and frankly, it's unacceptable. So what do we do? And we have the tools with HIV PrEP to help prevent that and to help really decrease those diagnoses in the U.S. And I think that is so important. And primary care clinicians really play that role in assessing the risk and talking to their patients about it and then being open about prescribing it and really feeling comfortable. And we hope that some of what we outlined in our paper can really help encourage clinicians to realize that they have a way to safely and effectively help end the HIV epidemic. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Really appreciate your time.